electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The huge week for stocks and whether one top market watcher is about to capitulate on his correction call, we'll debate your money's next move, as we always do with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, here they are. Shannon Sakosha, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. As Carl said, we are also marking the halftime report at 10. And all this week, we'll be joined by some of the biggest investors in the world, including two today. Carl Icahn and Jim Chanos will join us momentarily. Very much looking forward to speaking with both of them. In the meantime, let's check stocks. China growth was disappointing. Industrial production was down. Oil's the highest in seven years. That's your picture right now because the S&P highest since September 16th. So, Pete, I turn to you first. Should we focus on the vulnerability of stocks or the resiliency of stocks? Oh, that's easy. I'd say the resiliency. I think it was, we've been watching this for a long time, Scott, and we've watched how the markets are always looking ahead. You know, we look back a little bit, and then suddenly we start looking right, at, right ahead. This morning is a great example of that, actually. When you look at the markets, why were we actually down? We were down 150 points early on. Well, all of a sudden, everybody's worried about inflation. They're worried about all these other things. Suddenly, the focus got right back onto earnings, and I think that's what really sort of turned things for us, and that's where we started to see the markets rocket to the upside. We've been talking about oil for a long time. Time. It was 38 bucks a year ago, and here it is, 83. So it's not like it snuck up on us, but I think a lot of people are finally starting to catch up on the idea that, yes, it's been for real. This rally has been real, and we have to obviously trade around that. But there's going to be a lot of different ups and downs. But I think we've shown a lot of different times where the opportunities are on these sell-offs. They are by the dips, and they have been. They've been right. Last week, I bought more Target. Target's now significantly higher. I think that's exactly what we are seeing right now is when great names get pulled to the downside, you've got to have your list out and look for those names. If they're getting pulled with the markets, I think you have to make a decision. All right. So, Shannon, I asked at the very top whether a top market watcher is about to capitulate on his correction call. And I'm talking about Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, frequent guest of the program over the last 10 years. He says today, and I quote, Retail proves resilient and buys the dip once again, forcing many institutional investors who share our fundamental views to cover and chase. Meanwhile, earnings revisions are deteriorating, but not fast enough to cause a bigger decline in the broader indices. Yet, this is somebody who said we're going to have fire and ice, a greater than 10 percent correction. I wonder if he is laying the groundwork today to capitulate on his big correction call. Well, I'm not going to pretend to know either way, but I think there's two good points that you make. Number one, um, earnings revisions generally do come down um, as the year goes on. You start off really optimistic, or the analysts do anyway, and they come in over the course of the year, and we haven't seen that. So, you know, there's a little bit of perhaps normalization in earnings. Second, if you think about, you know, all of these institutional investors who are capitulating, if you will, they're just waiting for a bigger pullback. It's not like they are necessarily... Um, worried about equities on a longer term basis. They just don't like the valuations they're having to pay right now. So I think, you know, the retail investor, where they're, whether they're buying the dip or whether they're just continuing to put money into equity, equities, because that's the only option right now to be able to earn a decent return. Um, I think these institutional investors have been waiting for a pullback. They just wanted something bigger so that they could justify those valuations going into year end. Well, Steve Weiss, we'll see the next time we talk to Mike Wilson. We'll put him on the spot. See about to capitulate or not. I can tell you two firms that are not UBS. We're more convinced by the positive stance in equity investors, they say today. Opco, our highest conviction call, better times ahead. Stocks likely to move higher. So again, stocks seemed vulnerable at the beginning of last week. They seem more resilient than ever right now, rallying off of 
you know, some declines earlier today. Is that the conversation that we need to be having now? Well, I think that it's it's obvious they've bounced, that the market always bounces off the dips. The question is, is that are you buying the market or are you buying stocks? Because stocks could be a different story. There's still plenty of stocks that haven't bounced, that haven't gotten back up to new highs or within a couple of percent of the highs. And that's where my focus is. It continues to be underneath because what is Underneath has been these rolling corrections of 10 percent, 20 percent or 25 percent, as you pointed out last week in the semis. And that's where I'm hunting. So the market can do what it wants to do. Market's been going up for 150 years. I don't expect it to change now. And I'm looking at earnings as the company's report. And that's where I'll decide to allocate my capital. So I have found some of those opportunities I mentioned last week, whether it's a GXO or a Dix that sold off quite a bit, despite fundamentals being strong, then came back on what we saw was a great retail number. That's where the opportunity will be, where Pete went into Target, added to it. So that's what I'm looking for. Hey, you know, I'm less concerned with the market you, does. The market you, holds up. You know what else Pete went into? And Joe, forgive me, I'm going to get to you in a second. But since we're teeing this up, Pete, you bought Microsoft calls new. You added to Facebook, Absolutely. but you bought Microsoft yes. calls new. Microsoft's the best performing fang year right. to date, I believe. Yep, and not too terribly long ago, we're talking about a stock that was trading, what, around 270, 280, I think, just a few weeks ago. And here it is back over 300 and pushing against those 52-week highs, all-time highs. Yeah, they bought 20,000 calls in there today at the 305 strike, Scott. So that absolutely got my attention. I debated back and forth. Do I want to add stock to this position right now? I actually wanted to go with the torque right now, so I actually went with the options themselves. So I'm in these calls. They actually expire on Friday. They're the 305s. They're right basically at the money. And I think this is a stock that has plenty of room to the upside still, despite the fact that it's pushing right up against all-time highs. I think they're doing so many things right that I think Microsoft is one of those premier companies that you want to be in, but I think that move's going to be very rapid to the upside. That's why I chose to be in the calls. Joe, I knew this was coming, but today it's official. You actually sold Monster Beverage, and you bought DocuSign. It was just time. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just time, and I think you're coming into the, the part of uh, the year where what has been working is going to work uh, very strongly and what hasn't been working is not going to work. So out of Monster Beverage, it hasn't been working. Glad to get into DocuSign right here. I think it goes to Pete's point. It goes to the question you opened this show with, Scott, which I waited 10 years for you to ask the easiest question you were ever going to ask, and you asked it today to Pete. Resiliency all the way over vulnerability. That's the story in this market. It speaks exactly towards Pete's buy of Microsoft. It speaks towards the continued dominance of the fangs. And last week, Scott, if you look at the performance, where was it? It was surrounding the consumer. Target up 7%. Home Depot up 5%. Those names were all incredibly strong. Lowe's up 6%. The consumer is resilient. They're investing and they're spending. So then you would agree with that question I asked you and I asked everybody on Friday whether we're going to look back and say that last week mm -hmm. was the week that crushed the correction. And that's why I think you read between the lines. I mean, it's still nuanced that Mike Wilson's laying the groundwork. Now, he's probably yelling at his television saying that's not true. That's not true. But that language today uh, to me was striking. Mm -hmm. OK, I'm going to look behind me at my whiteboard. 45.45.85, September 2nd, intraday high for the S&P. We take that out very soon. The bottom's in. Wow. Okay. That, that's, a, that's a big call. Now, I, I do have interesting calls today on, on Disney, Shannon, that you own. And I'll tell you, I mean, the commentary around Disney, it's a weight today, is, is negative. Downgraded at Barclays, the price target to 175 from 210. Reiterated neutral at Moffitt Nathanson, the target to 180. From 185, is it time to lower the DTC, direct-to-consumer subscriber bar? That's where the tone and tenor of the conversation is today on Disney. Are they wrong, Shannon? Well, if you roll back 12 months, I mean, I think the DTC numbers were estimated to be much lower. And so there's been a significant pull forward on DTC, obviously, because of the pandemic. Um, I think that there's been a lot of credit given to Disney's legacy catalog, and I think it's warranted. However, what we found is that there continues to be the need to produce new content that can give you a broader subscriber base. And that's what Disney's running into now, because they need to be able to bring in new different types of subscribers. With that said, 
you know, DTC is the new business. The legacy business is the parks business, the branded business. Those are going to continue to do well. So I think this is a little bit short-sighted and overly focused on the DTC business. Um, and I think that Disney's likely to continue to outperform in the long term. But they're going to have to get creative with their content. It's going to be right in Disney's face this week, too, because Netflix uh, reports earnings tomorrow. So we're going to hear from that company. And then once we do, we're going to have to talk about what that means, not only for Netflix, but Disney as well. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break, because up next, the billionaire investor Carl Icahn will join us for an exclusive interview. Lots to talk about markets, the Fed, inflation, his latest investments, energy, etc. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's talk some Netflix real quick, because I did mention it before the break. And uh, stocks having a nice move up about 17 percent year to date. It reports its earnings tomorrow. Joe, you own it and you bought it on September 1st. So you haven't been in all that long. It seems like everybody is now positive on it. There were new calls on it today, reiterated a buy over at UBS. Price target to 720 from 620. Overweight at Barclays, reiterated today, 625 is the price target. Are we setting ourselves up for disappointment? or to realize why everybody's seemingly growing more bullish? Well, it's, it's amazing how we reverse sentiment so quickly. Back on September 1st when I bought it, I, I bought it at 577. Nobody wanted to own Netflix at that time. It was sitting below the January 20th high at 593 for the better part of eight months. And I bought it on observing momentum that was beginning to build in a very positive way. It was a technical breakout. That's why I bought it. My target was six and a quarter, 650. I maintain that. I think it's probably going to go through there. But now we're talking about squid games and the fundamentals and the analysts are coming around and they're talking about the, the, the revenue growth. That was all known, Scott, prior to September 1st. All it really needed was the building of momentum and to see the reversal of sentiment, you're finally getting that. I'm not getting out of the position. I think it continues to move higher. And I think Pete and John did a great job as well identifying uh, some unusual call activity in Netflix back in early September as yeah. well. I'll tell you, the other thing that, Pete, you identified was the extreme strength that we have seen in, in the energy patch. Oil today was a, a mm. 82 you bought more ConocoPhillips, among many other names that you own, Chevron and Kinder Morgan, BP, yeah. Energy Transfer, Halliburton, Marathon, Oxy, Transocean, Schlumberger. <laughs> My goodness, Pete, um, you're all over this space. Why yeah. more Conoco calls now? Well, I, I think what we're still seeing, and I put Conoco in that category with some of the next level. I, I know probably a lot of people would put them up there, I guess, with Chevron, Exxon, that type of thing. But I put them at the next level where they trade with a little bit more beta, and I like that. And that's what we've been seeing is this move has been extraordinary, Scott, and you know it. We all know it, 38 to 83. I mean, that's a monstrous run in a year. But a lot of that run has, has started over the last couple of months where we've just all of a sudden taken off to the upside Almost a little bit too fast. We'll see. But what we see day in and day out just continues to be energy flow every single day. Today's another great example of that. At least four of probably our first 15 or so unusual options that we're seeing today are in the energy patch. So I'll continue to put myself into that position. I'm overloaded there. Sometimes it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but not that uncomfortable because they continue to deliver. So I'm going to continue to add into that energy space if I keep seeing these options trade the way they are. Nice day for COP, up nearly 
2 percent. As yep. you know, this week marks 10 years of Halftime Report on CNBC. And from the very beginning, Halftime has been all about real money and real debate, whether it's the investment committee battling over a stock pick in real time or some of the world's biggest money managers defending their own best ideas. It's our ethos. Doesn't matter how much money you run or how long you've done it. Everyone is held to account with our viewers' best interests always in mind. Most of the time, that debate is cordial, though sometimes it's gotten a little testy. I never said that I want to be friends with, with you, Bill. I wouldn't okay. be friends okay, with Carl. you. And okay. I would, you said okay, to Carl. me you'd, you'd like to be friends so that we could invest together. Carl, I have no interest. Do you think I want to invest with you? Investors seem to be questioning where your growth is going. What's happening? Well, first of all, I think we need to control the narrative. In the longer term, I think the dollar, uh, I, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I think it's, I, I will use the word doomed in, in the long term. I don't see anything in the developed world anytime soon happening like a financial crisis. You love Cleveland Cliffs because you talk about it all the time. You know, it's still a decent sized position you in your book, you. too. Farmer Jim, Mr. All In. Boy, you I know, see that smile. Look at that smile from Farmer Jim today. Boy, is he feeling good. Did you and other investors miss their chance? In the long term, probably not. Lack of ownership is necessarily a judgment. I just, I have my things that I focus on. Oh, and things that I I'm don't. judging, man. I am judging. We look at the multiples a lot more closely if we start to see any kind of a slowdown. We haven't well, seen that. It can't go seen up this well, wait, 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 wait. Pete, it can't go up at this pace forever. Can we get another 5%? I think the answer is yes. Why? We rallied off we, that, though. So you're talking about huge moves in the last 24 hours alone. If that's not enough to get you into the name, what, what's the number? Well, I bought it at 700. It's uncomfortable for me in my index. I don't like that. You just said but it's reasonably valued. Perspective. Though. You just said it would be reasonably you know, valued at 130. But I don't want it to go to 130 by two o'clock. Is it harder to impress the market these days with deals like this? I'm, I'm just noticing it's a touch below uh, 10 bucks, which is you know the, the demarcation line, if you will, in SPAC land. Shannon, you're underweight Apple shares, even though you own them. Think about it this way, though. Number one most recognizable global brand has an installed base that continues to support continued monetization of services. So what? You've been all in for what seems like forever. Are you still looking at 4,700 on the S&P 500 by the end of this year, Tom Lee? Uh, yeah. That is, is the problem. You guys so, put so people into this thing. Now it's a dog. We've had negative interest rates in Japan forever. You have negative interest rates in Europe. Guess what? The multiple in their markets are lower than the multiple in the U.S. market. The stock market is clearly looking ahead. And at this point, I think it's looking ahead into 2022 or 2030 or 2050, depending on the stock. I think there's not a shareholder who disagrees that this company could be more profitable and much more efficient than it is today. I know one company that I wasn't around then was making portable radios one day, the next day was making minesweepers. We can't even make face masks today. But I do have a strong opinion on what's going to happen over the course of the next two to five years with our big holdings, uh, you know, companies like Snowflake, companies like Uber, uh, and now companies like Grab. And we think the future looks very bright. How does anybody deserve to get wiped don't. out? Well, but, but, but just be clear, like, who are we talking about? We're talking about a hedge fund that serves a bunch of billionaire family offices? Who cares? Let them get wiped out. Who cares? All right. Let's welcome in our first headliner of the week, Carl Icahn. He is the chairman of Icahn Enterprises. Carl, it's good to have you here. I think you were with us on one of our very first shows. It is good to have you back to help mark our 10th year. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. And I, <laughs> I think I was on a number of your shows over those 10 years, and I'm glad you've been so successful. No, I, I appreciate it very much, and it, it is good to have you. I do want, you're still in the news, as always, and I, I do want to talk about your latest activist play in, in just a moment. I, I want to start, though, where I left off with my investment committee, and that is talking about the market, because when you were with us last on television, which was a year ago, in October of 2020, you were pretty bearish. And I spoke to you again on the phone in January of this year, and you told me that you were, quote, pretty well hedged. Now, I'm wondering how the market looks to you today, whether you're still as hedged or if you've covered some of the short positions that you've had in the overall market. Well, you know, what, uh, what I would say to you is uh, that predicting the short term the short-term market is almost, I've made it almost a cardinal rule uh, to not try to predict 
short, a medium term, and it served me well. At least served me well in 2021. I, I made the mistake of straying from that rule in 2020, paid the price for it. And um, therefore, I'm not in any way, I, 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 I've come to the conclusion uh, that um, uh, it's almost like in, in, in the uh, song Enchanted Evening, some Enchanted Evening, and, and it, it, he's saying this, who can explain it, who can tell you why? Fools give you reasons, wise men never try. And I learned that a few times in my life and learning it again. Talking about the market on a short-term or even medium-term basis, you cannot do. And um, activism uh, is the best paradigm there is in the market. I've, I've learned to believe that. Maybe some quant funds can figure out a way to predict the market. But the best way to invest, by far, is, is activism. And uh, there's, there's tremendous barriers of interest to activism today. I think, in a way, we're almost the last activists because it's very hard to break into that business because, number one, most of these hedge funds that want to be in it don't have permanent capital. And without permanent capital, you know, sometimes you have to go into this activism and you, you have to um, wait two, three, four years, as we've done in many cases. And, you know, if you have uh, money in a hedge fund, or an investor in a hedge fund, uh, they're, they're not going to fit for that. So we, and, and the other reason that we can do it over the years, uh, Scott, is that we have a brand name, a true brand name, sort of like Coca-Cola. So when we come along... Um, the target, and even the advisors of the target, know we're never going to go away if we if we don't get at least board seats and the ability not to micromanage, but to give macro advice. Well, you, and you, that have the, served- you, you have the luxury, obviously, of doing that for the reasons that you you said. And I and I I always listen to you very carefully. I hear somebody who's choosing their words carefully here uh, about what you want to say about the market. But you've been pretty clear with us in the past that you thought the market was vulnerable. You thought it was overvalued. You said you were pretty hedged. Does the market look better to you today or, or not? I, you know something, and I'm not being facetious here. I can't answer that question. I will tell you this. I will tell you this, that as far as I'm concerned, the uh, market one day, and I believe one day in the long run, and I don't know how long it is. And I, don't, I think you have to be a fool to try to tell you how long it is in this kind of a market. In the long run, we're certainly going to hit the wall. And I get everybody, people may say to me, well, anybody can say that. No, but I really think there will be a crisis, the way we're going. The way we're printing up money, the way we're going into inflation. I, I mean, if you look around you, you see this inflation all around you. And I don't know how you deal with that in the long term. But if you're asking me even what's going to happen in the next year or next two years or three years, I think it is foolish to try to answer that question. I, I honestly think that, you know, this money, uh, this MMF stuff uh, is working to some extent. They keep printing up money. The money goes out. And up to just recently, you haven't seen inflation. Now that you see inflation, you have to worry. But IEP does activism, and this activism works extremely well. It's in a market like this, it works very well. In other markets, it, uh, it sometimes doesn't work as well. But, I mean, look, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And I, I did some numbers, actually, to talk to you on this program. And if you invested, if you invested in IEP in the year 2000, when we started to do this activism in, for real, your total return is sort of like, it's almost an incredible 1,945% on your money. So if you took, if you gave, if you put in money in 2000, just left it in there, reinvested your dividend, you made 1,945% on your money. Now, the S&P during that period, if you did the same thing, you made only 358%. In the Dow, you made 409%. 
Yeah, the Russell 499%. And even in Berkshire Hathaway, he only made 655%. We measured 1,945%, and even stumbling along. And, and that's given us the ability to give dividends since 2005. And the dividend has crept up, and we've never missed a dividend, we've never decreased a dividend. And that's all because of activism. We never created, and this dividend that we give today is up to $8 a share, or $8 a unit. And that eight dollars a unit brings you to about a a fourteen percent return. We're able to do it through the activists, of not predicting the market. Sure. And you're asking me to predict the market. <laughs> and, you know, I believe in that song I just told you. Well, what, well I look at your yeah. I look at your portfolio, at least what I believe to be in your portfolio, Carl, and it feels like what's happening. And you mentioned inflation. What's happening in the energy patch, whether it's natural gas or oil or any number of other Things, it feels like this is your moment. Do, do you feel like it is? I mean, I have that 18% of your portfolio or thereabouts is in energy. Occidental, Chenier, CVR, Delic, Sandridge, some other names as well. Is this your moment because of what we've been witnessing with, with oil? I, I, I think it's our moment because the activism is going to become more and more prevalent because we, our companies, with many exceptions, are badly run. And that I mean, that's the proof of the pudding. We go in, we don't try to micromanage them. And they are very good CEOs. And by the way, companies that we go into have very good CEOs at times. I, 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 it's almost an exception when they're really terrible. So we don't have to change CEOs. We did it in LNG, that's an engineer, worked out great for us by changing the uh, CEO. Uh, and and uh, actually, we... we but, uh, okay, the, the company that we're now has a terrible CEO, the one we're talking about, which is uh, Southwest Energy. But by and large, we've been able to go in to seize this, to every one of these companies and work with the boards. And the results have been sort of phenomenal. I mean, you, if you look at some of the companies, even in Oxy, where we went in, and certainly don't agree with the CEOs every day, but even there, we, we, we're responsible for getting them the warrants. I don't think anybody there will deny it. We fought and fought to get those warrants. It came out at one. I think they're 15 today, or 14. I haven't looked at them recently. We own a lot of them. So what, what I'm just saying is that uh, you, you, if, uh, it, 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 now, for instance, at CBR, the refinery, we're involved with the company who's got a very good CEO trying to get more and more into renewable energy because I really feel there, I could talk to you about that. If you really study that, and you know, we we studied it at Oxy, we studied it here, you can't keep this country, you can't keep this world going the way it's going. You really can't. You know, I talked to some of the brightest guys around, and it's, it's foolish to say, and that was one of my disagreements with, uh, with Trump in a way, that you can't keep it with the comet, carbon that you're emitting. And right now you have too much carbon there already up. And so you need to do renewable fuel, and the government, instead of doing some of the uh, some of the plans they're doing, must, in one way or another, subsidize renewable fuel. And then, and then, so we're uniquely involved in that at CBI. Where, you know, we're in the middle of the country. CBI is the middle of the country. These analysts sort of forget that. We put in about. I mean, CBI is doing all right today, but we put in. Close to $200 million already in it because a refinery, you need the refinery really, we think, because it, it, it you know, creates hydrogen to work in making renewable fuels. So it sure. sort of works together. My point, and, my, my point though, right, Carl, I, is like, yeah, you, I don't want to dwell on it, but I, I'm just giving you look at these stocks, right? right? A lot of these stocks have had huge gains of late. Energy is the best performing sector of the year. And that's why I say I'm wondering whether this is, is your moment or not. And you see these stocks continue to go up. Are you taking any profits in, in these names? Do you, do you still own all of the names that I mentioned, the Chenier, the CVR, Oxy, Sandridge, Delic? I, 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 do own, I do own LNG. haven't really sold very much of it. I think it's a great company. I, I, I think there's a great need for LNG, and now that's coming to fruition. Chenier has already actually made all the trains that they need to produce it. And, and but they are going to do contracts for for others trains, so I do have LNG. 
I all I haven't really sold. Actually, I sold a few of the warrants, but not the stock. I do have a hedge against that oxy though, in the XLE, XLP, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I do have this hedge somewhat. But but I, the money we really make is just going into these different areas. For instance, um, for the first six months, because we're not really too hedged, we're hedged but not too hedged. If you look across our whole uh, vista of stocks, as I told you, or maybe didn't, that uh, we uh, we were up um, over a billion dollars. Net asset value was up over a billion in the first six months, and we're actually, I'm happy to say, uh, we're coming out with earnings at the end of the month. But I can say that uh, we're sort of going at the same pace for the third quarter. So uh, we're very happy with the results. So you can't pinpoint it on one thing. We, uh, you know, we have a team. Brett wanted a team of really very, very talented uh, analysts that are working with them that have experience, and we're all into the same octopus thing that that my son Brett Icon did before, and we're in. Companies like uh, like Bausch and and I think you wait for these things to um, uh, to produce and and we're in the southwest. Let me talk about Southwest then. Let me talk about Southwest if I could, because that's the news of the moment. And you mentioned that you're not happy with the the CEO. The bottom line is that you don't like the deal that that they want to do. You think it's at too high of a price. You've announced a proxy fight, a plan to nominate uh, a slate. Uh, right. And the company says they'll see well, you know, when you when you do it, they'll see it and then then they'll respond. When are you going to nominate the, the slate and what do you think your chances are? All right. So it's a good it's a great question, actually. In, in, in Southwest in particular, it's the perfect example, the quintessential example of what I remember when I talked to you. And I'm going to do it real quick because I know you, you want to keep moving. You know, in many of our companies, you have an anti-Darwinian principle where this guy gets into the company, he works his way up, he's not too bright, he knows how to not be a threat to the guy above him. This is the perfect example of John Hester, who is the uh, CEO of, uh, of this company. But there's a certain arrogance in this company because in a utility, you feel that you have the protection of the rating agencies. And that's, excuse me, not rating agencies, but the regulatory agency. And that's sort of anti-intuitive, and I think we're going to prove it. Because the, the, the um, regulatory agencies want to protect their ratepayers. And here's this guy, Hester, who's out there joining golf clubs. I mean, he has the arrogance to join golf clubs and try then to expense that against the rate base, meaning that he, he, he wants to, he, he's, you know, they give him a, an allowance to make a certain amount return on equity. I mean, if you, if you want to get mad at CEOs for being members of golf clubs, we're not going to have any CEOs left in America. Well, yeah, but at least, at least you don't charge, <laughs> you don't charge the customer for being on the guy. It's one thing to charge your shareholders. If the shareholders want to allow it, they allow it. But this guy is charging not only, not only his shareholders to live at this high level, but he's also charging the guys that are buying the gas from him. He's, he's, he's charging his ratepayers. He's charging, and that's what the regulatory, I'm not saying it, the regulatory agencies are saying it. He has, this guy has the arrogance, the nerve to go in and charge, he actually charged for a manicure, if you can believe it. He charged for manicures. I, I, find, that hard, saying, I find that yeah. hard to believe. I find yeah. that hard to believe. I, it's, it's, it's written by the regulatory agencies. <laughs> they want to disallow these expenses. This guy, and then he goes out and he decides he's just going to keep acquiring companies. Every other utility are getting out of other companies because they just want to stick to being a utility. And that's what I think the, the rating agents, the regulatory agencies would prefer. This guy just bought a company. His company is selling at only one time's book or around one time, one time's, one time's um, rate base because of, of uh, his bad, because of his bad performance. Now the guy is going out and paying two times that for a pipeline. He's overpaying, uh, he's overpaying by two, three hundred million uh, that Buffett was willing to pay. So he's overpaying 
And he's doing it, in my belief, because the more stock he can put out there, the more protection he has. And he's going to issue stock to his buddies. And that is what he is doing, and he's done it continuously. He's done a terrible job in, 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 as, in running this utility. Well, we, and, he, and, and, by the way, he makes $6.5 million a year for himself for doing an awful job, and there's no accountability. Now, these are the things that we've done for, you know, 30 years, maybe, gone after companies. And today, today we find that a lot of companies welcome us in. I, I mean, it might sound ironic, because we are good board members. We come in, and, and then with this guy, Hester, I tried to call him and tell him, <laughs> tell him, don't do this. You know, you try to call. He wouldn't answer the phone, and his, and his assistant kept saying he's out, of, out to lunch. And I put in a letter. I said, and, and then I said, after she kept telling me that, I said, she's certainly right. The guy is out to lunch. And now we finally did talk to him. And then he talked, the arrogance of the guy is, he told me, okay, we're not going to talk. You know, we talked on Thursday about, you know, he did his deal already about what should be done. And we said, okay. And with all the guys that got after, with all the CEOs for 30 years, nobody ever barefaced lied to me. You know, we, we, he's hard, not that I care that much, but he's on the phone saying, we will do nothing public till Wednesday. I said, great. The next day, or the, or the two days after, he put a poison pill out. I mean, you know, this guy is completely off the wall as far as I'm concerned. And I really think I do have a chance, even though he thinks he's going to have uh, the, the rating, the regulatory agencies protect him, and he thinks maybe the, 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 by the way, the index funds he thinks will protect him. But I think that day is over. I really think that the index funds have come around to thinking, hey, that, you know what? We should let the we should let our investors decide on the folks. Oh, see, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that because if you look what happened with the index funds, I thought of you. When you look what happened yeah. with the index funds in Engine Number One and Exxon, I thought directly of you because you've been the most critical of index funds, whether it's Vanguard, BlackRock, or whoever, for always voting with management. And that was a stake in the ground that says that's not maybe it's not going to be that way. Anymore, so maybe you have. Look, a, a I sh- honestly believe, and I know I was on your show once with uh, Larry Fake. I honestly do think that they would like to do something about it, and I'm not quite sure exactly. You know, they do have you know Chinese war there, and I think the day is coming because we need more productivity in this country. We can't keep going. This inflation is taking hold, and it's taking hold in a bad way. We need, and the only way we're going to get productivity is get the right guys to run these companies, or at least, even though the right guys, in many cases, I want to make it clear, in many of the companies we're in, the right guys are running the companies. It's just that, for instance, they're crown jewels there that should be burnished, that should be spun off and taken out. Uh, I mean, look, uh, I'll give you an example. We were in eBay, PayPal, it took us three years to get up to finally take PayPal out. And look how great it did for the shareholders. Or if you go back, if you go back into the, the 90s, Reynolds Tobacco, I got them to finally spit off Nabisco and everybody made 10 times their money. I mean, so if you look back, that is what has to be done. And I think they're finally waking up. Well, this Southwest is going to be a test case. Because here you do have a terrible manager. And you do. You have, in this country... A lot of very well, good managers, a lot we'll, of bad we'll follow ones. It. This we, is a bad one. We'll continue to follow it. I want to get to two other topics before I, before I let you run. Um, Bitcoin, as we talk about markets again. Are you in Bitcoin? Or, or, or would you buy? Are you, no, are you, no. I, I, as I say, I purely do. We, we do a lot, a lot of research. And we find companies that we could understand. And I can't understand it, I admit. And, I, and, and we can't. I mean, not just me. But we got a lot of bright guys working at Icon and Company, and it's a tough, it's tough to get a job there. Brett put a great team together, and we just don't understand it. So, and I'm not saying it's bad or good. It's just saying that just we don't understand it. We're not going to invest in something we don't get. Wow. So, and and uh, and I'm not telling you we'll go double or triple. I don't know. But I, I well, I have thoughts about it. But I'm not going to. Hey, look, you don't need me to talk about Bitcoin on this show. I mean, <laughs> obviously we've studied it a lot. But uh, do, do, do you think? I mean, do you think it has intrinsic value? Do you think it's a store of value? Uh, I, I would like to hear a quick uh, thought of yours on it. I, I, 
I think the jury's out on it. The jury is, is, is really out on whether it is or whether it's not. And I, I think if you could tell me what this economy is going to do, how inflationary it's going to get, yeah, look, if, if inflation gets rampant, I guess it does have value. But will inflation get rampant, or will the government come in, as they did in China, and just stop the thing? Uh, pretty much. So uh, there's so many there's so many variables in it that is a very difficult thing to invest in uh, from 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 my point of view. When we have such a uh, what I consider to be such a great paradigm that we use. Sure. With, with so as we mark, you know, we're, we're obviously marking 10 years this week, and I was looking back to try and think of what your best investment over the last 10 years was. Um, I don't know if it was Apple or Netflix, and we're counting down to another Apple event. In, in about 20 minutes or so, was that the best investment that you ever made? Was Apple? I think you made like two billion dollars no, in it. Or yeah, I mean, if you look back, if you look back at the, at the money we made on it, we made a hell of a lot of money on it, but sold it. But like, it's always going to be the true of us. We sell too soon because you know we get in when it's really sort of it got something to be done. We try to get it done. And then we get out. So obviously there was an article I could be worth, you know, 40 billion more if I had kept Apple and Netflix. But I don't really care because I never would have kept it. And, um, uh, you know, so um, all the customers made a fortune in, in Apple because I think partially we did something real good there. And and uh, we, we I really think we were very instrumental, and I don't think that Tim Cook would deny it, of getting them to do the buybacks in the big way they did it. And so we helped there. And, yeah, we made a lot of money in Apple. We made $1.8 billion in it. I, wow. You know, it's public. But all the shareholders, from the time I got in to the time I got out, made $234 billion. So, you know, so I think we, we certainly serve a purpose. And But, but we, we've had some very good... Investments. I mean, like, like, like one that we got into is not much heard of, but uh, we didn't put much money into it. And some Forest Labs, where we actually made more profit. We went in there. It was a great company with a lot of hidden mm-hmm. jewels in the, in the pipeline, mm-hmm. and uh, we actually made uh, uh, close to two billion in that one. I mean, so the many that I look back on, you know, you know if I look back on my list. Uh, and then we made a great deal of money in Netflix. Yeah, I know you did. Well, your list is We made a couple of billion. Look, we made a great deal of money doing this paradigm. When I stray from it, <laughs> when I stray from it, I'm gambling. So you ask me about Bitcoin. Then I'm going to gamble. If I'm going to gamble, I might as well go to Vegas, right? So <laughs> I, I'm not going to. I, I, I learned that discipline. All right. We'll, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Carl, yeah. thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, hey, it means a lot to us. I appreciate good it. Good luck again. Good luck. I hope you have another great 10 years. On, right. on, on this I show. certainly appreciate uh, okay. that. So look, great. All right. That's Carl Icahn. Jim Chanos of Kinecos joins us next. We'll talk the state of stocks. We'll talk China. We'll get his latest thoughts on Tesla and IBM. There's a lot to say about that. Do it next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report and get started. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. It's official. ProShares will be the first out with a Bitcoin futures ETF. We'll begin trading Tuesday under the symbol BITO. It's based on Bitcoin futures contracts that trade on the CME. Here first on CNBC, the man launching that ETF, Simeon Hyman, is global investment strategist at ProShares. Simeon, big day tomorrow for the crypto and the ETF community. 
the, the concern is there's some unhappiness that the first Bitcoin ETF is tied to a futures contract, and it's not spot Bitcoin. The concern is a futures ETF might deviate, deviate from the spot Bitcoin. What is your research revealed about that? Is that going to happen at all? You know, we think this logic may be almost a little bit turned on its head. There's a lot of evidence from experts that the futures market, if anything, is kind of a better place for price discovery. Uh, the CME futures market, and it's a regulated place, actually trades more volume uh, than the largest U.S. crypto exchange. And, you know, just to put some of this in context, you know, we launched a similar mutual fund back on 728. And since we launched through Friday, uh, Bitcoin, the BRR, the Bitcoin reference rate that amalgamates a few different exchanges, that's up 51% through Friday. The mutual fund's up 52. And guess what? The Grayscale Trust is only up 37. So there's a lot of history here. Uh, we think it'll track quite well. And most importantly, we think that the combination of a regulated futures market and a 40-act ETF will really open up the opportunity to conveniently get Bitcoin exposure to a lot of folks who may have been waiting on the sidelines. Okay, thank you, Simeon. Now, there's a raft of Bitcoin future ETFs that will likely be launching in the next days. More on ProShares launch and the prospects for a Bitcoin ETF on ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, plus Financial Times global finance correspondent Robin Wigglesworth out with a new book, Trillions, How a Band of Wall Street Renegades Invented the Index Fund and Changed Finance Forever. He joins us to talk about the rise of indexing. That's on etfedge.cnbc.com at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Congratulations to Scott on 10 years of halftime. We'll be back with an exclusive with Jim Chanos of Kinecos. Jim Chanos is best known as the world's most famous short seller. The founder and managing partner of Kinecos Associates joins us now in another halftime exclusive. Jim, welcome. It's nice to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you, and congratulations on 10 years to uh, you and the team, Scott. Thank you, sir. A uh, couple of big stories today I want to get to. Uh, China GDP falling to 4.9%. You said recently that China represents a, quote, 1930s kind of problem. What do you mean by that? Well, the problem that we're seeing with Evergrande, as we talked about uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, is, is not that it's a Lehman moment. It just underscores the fragility of the Chinese economic model. And one of the concerns that I have is, is what do they do? How do they transition away from this, you know, apartments for everybody economic model to something more sustainable? And, and what concerns me is the rise of authoritarianism, the rise of defense spending. And, and will China try to redeploy capital assets from building apartments to building aircraft carriers? I don't know, and, and, and nor do others. But but they cannot continue down this road, and I think that's the lesson that we have to learn from, from what they're going through right now in their real estate sector. This reliance on, on, on construction just is not sustainable. And yet, in the, the GDP they just reported over the weekend, uh, investment was the lion's share of the growth again. So, I mean, it's really... It really is this treadmill to hell, as we've talked about now for for a better part of 10 years. You know, China growth matters tremendously to S&P earnings, as, as we know. Bank of America is out talking about that today, and we're about to embark on a week that's full of big earnings, and it only gets busier from here. How concerned should U.S. investors be from what seems like a world away? Yeah, I mean, again, the transmission the transmission is is secondary or tertiary. It's through commodities. It's through a variety of other things. I, I think the 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 risks are more are moving toward the political than than the economic these days, because we see a more bellicose China. We see a China that's increasingly rattling sabers about Taiwan, uh, and, and so I think that that that. I think investors need to keep an eye on that, particularly given uh, the, the importance of Taiwan strategically to the chip business uh, and for lots of other reasons in that area. Um, I, I just think it's fascinating what, what, what Xi Jinping is going to have to do here as he takes the reins maybe for life next year. Uh, it's going to be one of the more fascinating stories of 2022. Let's move to a couple quick things before before we go. I thought it was really interesting when we saw that Dr. Michael Burry uh, of Big Short fame is no longer betting against Tesla through through puts. Do you still have your puts? Yeah, on we Tesla? still have our we still have our slightly more than one percent position. Uh, so yeah, we're still we're still batting our heads against the brick wall. <laughs> and, and and you're I mean you don't have a headache yet. <laughs> 
Uh, trust me, I have a headache. Uh, yeah, at a hundred and a hundred, almost one hundred and twenty times next year's uh, estimate, we still think this is a car company. I know you've heard that ad nauseum, so we can move on. But uh, we just think that that's absolutely silly and and being valued at more than the entire rest of the global automobile industry combined. I think is uh, just highlights the risk. I, I only have a, metric. I only have a couple minutes. You have a much larger short position, as I understand it, in IBM. Is that is that correct? Actually, we do, and they report on Wednesday afternoon, same time as Tesla. And, and what's so fascinating about IBM to us is that it, it's a good example of what I teach my class here at Wisconsin today about the idea of, of sometimes the, the, the greatest scams are hiding right in plain sight um, through the use of pro forma accounting. And what I wanted to point out to your listeners or your viewers is that, you know, IBM's supposed to earn almost $11 this year. For the trailing 12 months, they've earned less than $9. Um, but the really fascinating thing from our perspective, if you look at IBM's operating earnings and add their IP royalty stream and tax it at a, at a normal 21%, the actual earnings are $6. And so you have this almost $5 spread between what IBM is really earning and what they claim they hope to earn on a quote-unquote adjusted basis this year. And this is just more financial engineering uh, that this company is doing, including the latest spinoff, in which they claim that their growth is going to go from, from 2% to mid-single digits. And yet buried in the fine print is the, is the disclosure that three points of that mid-single digit will be them selling products to their spun-off entity. I mean, so, I only have 30 seconds left, but the stock's up 15% year-to-date. So investors seem to be finally pinning their hopes that this company has turned the ship. Yeah, they've done it in the past, but I would point your investors to that period after 2014, where for years uh, the, the IBM management said they were going to earn $20, and they were going to earn $20, and they were going to earn $20. And finally they came out in 2015 and 2016 and said, uh, you know what, it's really $10. And the stock went from 200 to 120 mm -hmm. uh, where it's kind of been ever since. And I suspect we're in that same mode right now with IBM that says they're going to earn $11 or $12, but the reality is half of that. We're going to see. And I'd be curious on the call to see how they, they bridge that gap. I know you'll be listening, um, and we will be as well. Uh, we'll continue the conversation soon. I'm sorry we're short on time. Jim, thank you so much for taking time and calling in. That's Jim Chanos joining us. That does it for us on The Half. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.